I don't know about you, but anytime I see a finish line, there's something that just comes over me where I'm like, oh. I could sprint. I could <laughs> yes. sprint right now. I have 99 miles on my legs, but I see a finish line and I can sprint. There's just something about it that lifts us up. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey guys, David Terrio here. Uh, I am super pumped about today's podcast. As you heard, you may have recognized the voice. Uh, when I th- first started thinking about doing the podcast and about what I wanted it to be and uh, who I wanted to encourage and all these things, Sally is one of those that, uh, one of the first ones that came to mind that I wanted to invite and wanted to to speak to and she's been very gracious and and you'll hear it at the beginning I'm a little bit (laughs) I'm a little bit of a nerd and kind of kind of fanboying out a little bit but uh it's all right it's all right Sally has some amazing things to say um I hope you hear her heart uh she echoes what so many of us in the ultra running community uh hope to do hope to encourage others and uh just enjoy uh listen to this and be encouraged so uh here she is Sally McRae Today on the Run the Riot podcast, uh, we have a, a special guest. Uh, her name is Sally McRae, and most of you probably heard of her, and I just want to welcome Sally to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, David. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've, uh, well, we, we had a, a little trouble connecting at first because you had uh, two camps going on, right? Yeah, yeah. I had, um, I coached trail running camps around the United States. So I went, first I flew from, I'm, I'm located here in California. So I flew to North Carolina, which is one of my favorite spots in the United States, just outside of Asheville. Uh, so we were there for a week. And then um, me and my team, we flew to Oregon, Mount Hood, and we did a camp there for a week. So flying back and forth across the United States, I'm finally home and just getting back into the swing of things. <laughs> yeah, catching catch, catch up on life. I definitely appreciate you taking time. After I know how it is after being on the road and, and getting home and everything's just piled up and you've got to – yeah. Catch up on everything. Well, t- tell me a little bit about your camp, Sally. What what, what do you yeah. what, what do you guys do? You know, my um, well, trail running camps I think are growing in popularity. Just uh, you know, you'll you'll see whether it's a, a professional runner that puts them on and really focuses maybe on a particular strength that they have. So one of my teammates, um, Brittany Peterson, she does like a sky running trail running camp and focuses on on you know sky running and fell running and all that good stuff. So. Um, and then there's like the mindful retreat with, with Timmy Olson, which is like, you know, it's really, there's a lot of yoga and, um, mindful sessions. And so I, I really just pour myself and my, who I am in, into these camps. My goal is, um, I, and I think I'm just like this as a runner as a whole, I believe that running is my platform, but it's just my vessel in order to reach people. Um, it's just a thing. And I believe that, you know, when my running's done, I want to know that um, my life and the things that I do, even within my running, have a far greater impact than just some trophy sitting on my shelf. So um, really, when I formulated these runs, that was like my my deepest desire was to reach people on 
a more face-to-face -face real level because you know I travel around the world and I meet thousands of people I'm in contact with people constantly via social media through messages and things like that I, I just I love people so much mm -hmm. and so these camps allow me to um, gather a group of people together who may have never crossed paths before and we use the running as a way to connect but it's not a training camp so we run every day but it's very fun I have a team of um, four to five coaches each camp so really all levels of running are welcome we have mm. super fast speedy people to people that are just brand new to the trails and maybe going at a you know 14 15 minute mile and um, and we keep them all together and the the true like mission is that people would come and create memories and friendships to last a lifetime and that people would just leave feeling just really good about themselves and their lives no matter where they're at um, so really it's just my my chance just to love on people every single day and I do clinics and really special talks and things like that so um, it is just it they're tiring on like the degree of like how how much behind the scenes stuff I'm doing but mm -hmm. I always leave with a fuller heart and just so rejuvenated because it's really at the core of why I run so mm. Yeah, they're more that, that, of an experience camp, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. And 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 you can't see me, but I have a big smile on my face over here because I love the just the just the attitude of that running's what I do, and 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 if you can use that to just to affect people, and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to make sure and get you on the podcast, Sally. I've I've seen mm -hmm. you know the, the the videos that are out, and and it's so encouraging to to that you're open, you know, with your your struggles and just everything that you've you're going through and then just to share life with people, you know, people need, mm -hmm. people need love and, and need uh, acceptance, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it, isn't it amazing? And you can get a group of runners together and, you know, you have diverse socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, political, mm -hmm. political views and everything else. And everybody can just run together and, yeah. and, and, and have a good time. You know? <laughs> yes, it's so true. I mean, I, the things that have happened in my camps over the past few years, I've been doing it. This is, we'll be going into my fourth year in 2020. I mean, I just, it, they're life changing. And I'd say, and I don't, I don't mean to make them this way. We don't have like journal sessions, share your heart time, but almost every single person that's come to my camp, like I've seen them cry. And I have a 50, 50 <laughs> men and women at my camp. I love mixing the two together. Um, mm. You know, I know there's a place for a, all men's camp or all women's camp but I think that both men and women have strengths and that we need each other and I love bringing them together and showing them that um, and it has just been life-changing I mean, that, that's probably if there's only one if there's one thing that people say about my camps is that their their lives are changed and everybody leaves with 15 20 brand new best friends it's almost like going to college again and having those college roommates that you just do life with day in and day out and you know, I put all the camps, every camp has a WhatsApp chat um, mm. group text. And I mean, we have ones that have been going on for three years now. And it has nothing, most of the time, it has nothing to do with running. I mean, they're there for each other and their struggles. 
you know, and their joys and they're sharing crazy pictures from work and what's going on in their families. And then they are meeting up for runs. And even if they're across country, they're flying to crew each other at their first 100 mile race or wow. I guess it's just incredible. So because of that too, we have a lot of repeat campers, three peat campers, and we have people that come from other countries. I mean, this one guy that's come from Norway three times. Um, wow. It's just a, it's just a different, a, a very different experience. Um, and so I, I really feel like, you know, even long after I'm done running, this is really something that I'll, I'll continue doing for, for many years. Cause I, if I can reach one person's heart and, um, you know, be in the front row and witness just a, a powerful change that catapults them to living a better life or more courageous life, or just showing them how loved they are. And there are people that care about them. Sometimes it just takes a stranger for them to understand that. Um, it is just my, my life is full. So. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, well, Sally, for, for those people who, who are listening that, that don't know what, what got you into mm-hmm. to running? Cause I, I, you know, uh, looking into your background, you, you played soccer originally, right? I did. Yeah. I started out as a soccer player. I even did gymnastics for 10 years. Oh, um, wow. And then in high school, I was a sprinter. So, um, you know, running has always been like the supplement to everything that I've done. And when I was little, like I like when I was like six, seven years old, I I really just loved just pure running. I would go down to the park um, down the street from my house and I would just run laps. I was I discovered that I was fast when I was pretty young and I loved playing tag. I loved, you know, in elementary school, I was I was you know, the fastest kid in school. And nice. that was just exciting to me. It was exhilarating. Um, you know, I grew up in a, a pretty rough family. There's seven, seven people in my family, but I had a fairly disapproving father. And so running was like, I love that I could go outside and I could explore on my feet. Like I knew this even as a young child. And um, anytime I could just go take my bike and just ride for a couple hours or just go run into a field. There was something always, um, you know, as a little kid, you don't understand like therapy and all oh, this is therapeutic, but I think it was as a young child, just the start of where I could just be all me and feel safe and not in danger or, um, judged or anything. Like I could just go run. And, and I loved, I just loved that feeling of those deep breaths and just kind of feeling alive. So, it was always something I loved. And as I, I navigated through different sports, um, you know, I really played soccer because I really looked up to my brother. He's five years older than me and he played soccer. So I was like, well, I have to play soccer. And, um, and then right around the time that I was looking at colleges and high school, that was like, you know, when Brandy Chastain and Mia Hamm were, you know, hitting the scene and women's soccer was just huge in the United States. It was just you know, that's, that was for me, like, that's the dream right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I pursued soccer for, uh, most of my life. That was where my dreams were, were focused. Um, and then I started just really focusing on distance running. Um, when I became a teacher, uh, I was a freshman English teacher for a few years and mm-hmm. I would just do distance running, like early in the morning and it was just kind of a way to, to keep my competitive juices flowing. And I loved training. So, you know, I'd trained at such a high level for so long that I, I kind of needed something while I had this career. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's when I started, I was like 21 
when I started marathoning. So nice, nice. And, and, and then from, from there, I I was kind of, you know, looking around and, uh, I did notice, I think it was your first, uh, ultra, um, your pictures with the kids and every kids meeting you at all the different spots, your your kids, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Which is why they don't go to a lot of my races anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I I mean, yeah. If you go online, you can see there's iconic. One of my most favorite ones is my son, Isaiah, who's 11 now, but he was only, I don't even, I think he had just turned two. Yeah. He just turned two literally like three weeks before I ran American river 50. That was my very first ultra. And Mackenzie's like 20 feet behind him. She's, she had just turned four, both their birthdays are in March and American river 50 was in April, but just shattered that I'm running away from him. And (laughs) if anyone knows my son, he's still like this to this day. He's very, he just loves his mama and he's my boy. And, um, he's very cuddly and he just, he just loves to be around me and we just have such sweet time. We have a really sweet, close relationship. Um, he's been like that since the day he was born. So, um, and even now it's hard for him when I travel or I, or I go away, like he just wants his mama. So, um, so this picture is so precious to me. Cause I'm like, that is like still who he is. <laughs> like you cannot, why are you running away from me? Like you're supposed to be holding me. Um, so every time I came into an aid station, uh, my friend now, Brett Rivers, who was the original over owner of San Francisco Running Company, he took these pictures. I we didn't know each other, but I think he was getting a kick out of it. Every time this, you know, I was in the aid station, there's these little toddlers chasing after their mom, like throwing <laughs> massive fits. And so yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, well so so you were I didn't know this. I, I didn't know you were a, a teacher. So so you well, talk- yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I don't talk yeah. about that a lot. <laughs> that's another adventure right there yes (laughs) well when did you when did you know um that that you would uh have a have a future in in running and have this you know when did you make that switch you know from teaching to like hey i'm i can i can do this i can i can run i can make a a a living and also affect people with this so when, when did that happen Yeah. You know, even becoming a teacher was a a surprise to me. This was when I became a teacher, it was around the time. I don't know if anyone listening remembers this in California. We had a shortage of teachers. Um, Now it's like the other way around. Now every every other teacher is getting a pink slip. Um, But at this time when I um, I was actually still in college, um, there was a small private school that um, needed substitute teachers. And I Throughout my entire college career, I always worked one to two jobs. I just, you know, I supported myself in, in many ways. And um, and so I was always looking for work and always keeping myself busy. And I was really good friends with the superintendent um, principal of this private school. And he's like, hey, if you want to come and just be a substitute for the last semester, there's a lot my last semester of college. Um, you know, we could totally use you. We could pay you by the day. So I, that's how I, I didn't go to school to be a teacher. So that, that was not my major. I communication studies major, which is like a really deep passion of mine. I really love that major. Thought mm-hmm. I would do something else with it. But, um, so what I did was I took, there's a test called the CBEST 
And so that once you pass that, you and you could then get like an emergency credential because it was kind of like an emergency in the state of California where yeah. had a shortage of teachers. And so if you had like a college degree and then you took these tests, then you were able to work toward an emergency credential and kind of then be placed in a class. So I was a sub and I was so young that, I mean, I went back and I, they'd put me in classes with seniors and some of the kids like, and I had gone to this school for two years oh, okay. um, before I went to college. So some of the kids were like, uh, you went to school with my brother. <laughs> like I'd walk in and kids wouldn't believe that I was the sub. I'd be like, all right, you guys get your seat. And they're like, yeah, right. Like, yeah. and I, I looked pretty young at the time too. So it was just really funny. Um, but I loved it. I think from the time I was young, like I always enjoyed the coaching teaching aspect. I love being able to pour in to people in some way and use teaching as a way to relate. So, um, so I, I did that just for that semester. And then I left on a trip um, with a, an or, a nonprofit organization called Ambassadors of Sport. And I traveled around the United States and over to South Africa as a soccer player. I was playing on a men's soccer team that was made up of college players, semi-pro players, and professional players. And we would go into the communities in South Africa and some of the very more poor communities. And we'd put on like camps and then we'd nice. give like these inspirational talks and we'd sometimes we'd, we'd be able to donate goods or um, things like that to kind of reach the communities. But then we'd also play like the semi-pro teams around there. And I actually thought while I was away, I was gone for a few months, like pretty much the whole summer. My goal was to work for this company. Um, they mm -hmm. did not have a very big women's um, sector. And so and I didn't even know I was going to be playing on a men's team when I, I just came up to South Africa. I thought I'd be playing with women and they're like, you're on the men's team, which oh, actually yeah. turned into this like, yeah, but it cracked me up because it's so much of my life was like that. I grew up a lot playing on men's teams and I've always um, had a lot of just male friends. And have, even to this day, I still train a lot with men, uh, with men and um, a lot of the people that I work with closely are male. So I, I got on really well and um, I did really well on the team. I just, I loved everything that this organization represented. And so um, my goal was like, man, I really want to develop the women's side of this. And so I was offered a job in South Africa and then they, mm. they had offices in the UK, like come to the UK. And then um, there was another one, I think it was either in like Russia or Czechoslovakia that, wow. you know, they're like, we want you in all these different places. So at that time though, I was dating my now husband and I'm sending him all these messages back home like, hey, I'm not like I kept on extending my trip. Like I'm not coming home and not coming. Home, I'm not coming home. And then I kind of made this decision of like, yeah, like I think it would probably be good that we don't even stay together anymore because my heart is just it's out here pouring into these people like this is what I want to do. This is my greatest passion. Like I love this so much. And I had always just growing up, always envisioned myself not living in California and not. Um, maybe not even in the United States. Like I, I wanted to to see the world, and I either wanted to work in an orphanage or mm. um, do some type of of charity work. So he didn't really like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I came home for a few days. Within two days of being home, he proposed to me, and uh, so that's the end of that story. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he yeah. had to do what he had to do. <laughs> he had to do what he had to do, and then also within days of that, the principal. Um, said, hey, we have a 
freshman English teaching job position open. So it was like, I got engaged and got offered this job and it was like, bam, my, my whole direction, wow. my whole path of life changed. So, um, and that was in some ways pretty difficult for me. And that was also where running was refreshing for me. Cause, um, it just allowed me opportunities to, to just kind of go and think because I, I kind of struggled with it for a while. I struggled like, wait, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, am I supposed to be getting married and just teaching English at a high school? Like, this is so not me. Like, I want to be out in the world and um, doing these other things. And so, um, yeah, that it kind of became a staple for me. I get up really early in the morning and I would go run and then I would go teach all day and then I'd come home. And I usually worked a second job too. Um, and Eddie and I ended up after that first year, we ended up getting getting married like ten months later. So, um, yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, I so, think you're the first one I've ever told that story to. By the oh, way. Oh wow! <laughs> Exclusive here. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so, so you got married, and 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 mm -hmm. how, how long did you teach? I taught until let's see, it was a total of. I think it was three and a half years because we moved. You know, it was, so I was a substitute for half a year and then I taught for three years Okay. and um, I loved it. And then um, Eddie got a job on the East Coast in Washington, D.C. And we had only been married for we were going on our second year of marriage. And so we moved out to Washington, D.C., just on a whim. We we're like, let's just do it. Like we don't have any kids. We're super young. And we were so young. We were like 22 when we got married. So, wow. yeah. um, we we're like, yeah, like, let's go do it. So we lived in Washington, DC. It was the first time in my life experiencing a full year of seasons. Um, I fell in love with it. Oh my gosh. I love, I love the East coast and that area too. Like the weather isn't so extreme in the winter nor the mm -hmm. summer. And so it was like a good, like a really good uh, introduction. So that was the end of my teaching. Once we moved to DC, I, w I was done teaching. Okay. Well, well, when did when did it transition then from from you know just mm -hmm. mar married life in Washington DC to Sally yeah. running all over the world? When did it, when, when... <laughs> you know, it was still a journey because I at that time I had qualified for Boston. So when we moved out to Washington DC, I was training for Boston. I had no idea what I was doing. I actually ended up overtraining and didn't even run for like six or seven weeks before I actually ended up running Boston. <laughs> oh, wow. um, yeah, like I think I ran it like in 3.30. It was just not a good, it wasn't a good race. I loved the experience, but I was so burnt out. And then after Boston, I, I got pregnant with Mackenzie like five weeks later. So it was a, it was, everything was just like, bam, bam, bam. It was, it was quite a journey. So I didn't, really even discover ultras. And I, I kept running through my pregnancies. And as soon as my kids were born, um, I would continue running. I was at this time, I started my fitness business. And so I was teaching fitness classes and then just mm -hmm. training on my own. And I really loved doing the races and I was coaching. Um, then I started coaching other women in races. So it was probably in 2009. So okay. 10, 10 years ago when I just, I discovered, um, you know, I discovered ultras. It was like in a magazine, I was reading about these people who were doing hundred mile races and being the curious, uh, the, the curious one that I am, I was like, I was fascinated with that. And I thought how amazing that our bodies 
bodies are able to do that. Like, what the heck? I want to do that. (laughs) That's really like just what pulled me in was just the curiosity and the fascination with, you know, I don't believe even now that we've tapped in fully to what we are capable of doing. And so I've always loved, even since a child, just pushing those limits, like doing things that are a little bit edgy, a little bit crazy, a little bit wild. Yeah, yeah. It's because I, I love, yeah, I love testing the limits. So yeah, it was 2009 when I discovered them. And um, well, actually it was 2008 because 2009 is when, oh no, no, it was 2009. 2010 is when I ran my first ultra. So 2009 okay. is when I discovered it and, and really started training for it. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, so you you did um you said you were doing uh different uh training and stuff. I, I noticed mm-hmm. uh, just just looking through your your Instagram, you do a, a fair amount of cross training. Um, I do for your races. So what 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 is your? I mean, um, how many when you're training for a race? I mean, how much cross training do you do as opposed to um you know to your running? Um. So. <laughs> I, so this is kind of like a, a twofold reason why I do a lot of cross training. Um, but I'll start with your, your, your most previous question, question right there. So I go to the gym, uh, throughout the year mm-hmm. on a regular basis, three mm-hmm. to five days a week. Okay. So I'm, I'm in the gym quite a bit and I'm, I'm, when I go to the gym, I'll be there for a minimum of one hour and up to three hours, depending on mm-hmm. what it is that, that I'm doing. And, um, you know, the, the, there's two reasons why I'm, I'm really big on this and it's, it's definitely part of my messaging. It's something that, um, as a coach, I try to instill in all of my athletes, um, and really a myth that I, I try to dispel because I think that, you know, ultra running, uh, long distance trail running, it, it does require more out of you than like, if you're like a road runner training for a 5k and I, yes. Totally get it because like 5k coaches, like half marathon coaches, like they have a completely different for not completely different, but a very different approach to how you should be strength training how much time you're in the gym, what's the amount of weight you should be carrying. And I get it because, um, yeah, you don't want to, you're not trying to pack on 20, 30 extra pounds of muscle. Like that's not the goal you want to, you know, science says if you're lighter, you're going to move a little bit quicker, (laughs) but you want to do it in a healthy way and you still want to be strong. So there is a balance there. You do need to get in the gym. But I think for ultra runners, long distance runners, um, I, I've seen over the years that there is this natural breakdown, even within a race, you know, someone that's setting out to do a 50 mile race, they could be so fast and really fit. But if they aren't strong or they have any imbalances or weaknesses in their body, by mile like 35, it is magnified yes. and completely exposed and can ruin a race. Yes. And it's incredible. I mean, the people that many times get to that finish line first aren't always the fastest. They're the strongest and they're able to endure like their IT bands, their quads can take the pounding over and over again when they're descending 10,000 feet within a 50 mile race. Yeah. Um, whereas someone that didn't, train properly, but doesn't have those, that strength in their legs, they're, they're going to be hobbling down the mountain and, and in a lot of pain. And it goes the same way with your hips and your lower back. Mm. And I know a lot of people listening who are ultra runners can attest to this, that they, at some point in the race, later in the race have felt their weakness come out. And Mm. really it has to do with the distance and the time on your feet. So, 
Um, I am a big believer in you absolutely need to focus on getting your body strong, having that base, you know, where you can at least endure the distance and the time on your feet. Um, and if you do, you're just going to finish that much stronger and you will finish faster. Now on a very personal level, um, I started like getting in the gym and really focusing on, on more of our core training, um, mm -hmm. back when I was like 20, like, well, I always worked out in the gym, I always all through like high school and then into college, like that never, ever stopped for me. It just kind of evolved as the, the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I have a pretty, and I have for most of my life, I have a pretty bad back. Um, and I've, I've just kind of dealt with back pain for as long. I can't really remember a time that I haven't had it. And, um, there was a time in my very young twenties where it hurt really bad just to lay down in bed. I would be like in a lot of pain. And so I discovered, um, I started doing a bunch of reading and, you know, I, I don't like medication. I don't like medicine. I hated the idea of having yeah. to go to a doctor or a physical therapist therapist all the time. And I thought there, I, I, one thing I did learn was that when you have a weakness somewhere, you can strengthen everything around it in order to hold it up. And so, um, I discovered Windsor Pilates and I started doing Pilates every single morning, every hmm. single morning. Like I was just so dedicated to it. Like it was a mat. I got like these DVDs and it was a mat series that I would do every day. And it completely took away my back pain. And I have not had um, that level of back pain since then, but also wow. because, because I'm in the gym so much. So I'm really big on, yeah, it's great to have like a nice trim, stomach and a strong back but like i don't care about the how any of that looks like i just don't want to be in pain anymore so mm. um i spend a lot of time on my core i spend a lot of time just getting everything around my my back strong so you know the glutes the hips the, the shoulders um abs in order to support my my back so that's a, a really big reason why i'm in the gym <laughs> a lot um on the flip side of that, I naturally, and I've had several doctors tell me this, like I, I build muscle very quickly. It's there's a <laughs> small percentage of women that can build muscle so quickly. It's just the way I was born. So it's interesting when I interact with people about, oh my gosh, like how long are you in the gym and weight <laughs> and stuff? I have to really dispel, like, believe it or not, I am not lift. I'm not power lifting. I'm not like throwing tires across the gym. Like I'm not a crossfitter, although I get asked that all the time. Um, I just, I can build muscle really quick. Most of what I do is, is body weight based and then just mm -hmm. dumbbells. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my basis for for being in the gym. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree 100%. I wrestled in high school and kind of the same thing. And and when I started running seriously, um, I noticed I would shrink to nothing if I didn't stay in the gym, you know, and just lose the strength. And I told somebody I'd rather be a little heavier and, um, you know, run the trails feeling more like a linebacker than, you know, than this skinny guy tiptoeing through the trails, you know? <laughs> so yeah, yes. Feeling Ab strong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big believer that. And it's interesting too. I think, um, you know, I know the people listening, like you, you also have to come to a point in your life. And I had to do this too, where you just respect the way that your own body was made, you know, the way that we're all put together, it truly is different. And I know it's difficult 
sometimes to accept that. Like I, I talk to people all the time. It's like, you know, they, they wish their legs were a little bit longer, a little bit skinnier. Um, you know, they wish they were a little bit faster. Their calves weren't so big or so small. Like, you know, I think that that's just part of the human, you know, that's just the way we are as humans. Like we're never 100%. I don't, I don't talk to a lot of people that are like, 100% stoked on every inch of their body. But <laughs> I, it makes me giggle too, because I'm like, hey, we are all there. Like we all could sit around a table and point out things about ourselves that we wish we could change that we don't like. Yeah. And it's really easy to allow that to snowball and realize that, that is all that you're focusing on. And I believe that in sport, just across the board, it doesn't matter if you're a swimmer, a cyclist, a gymnast, a golfer, soccer player, like it's really easy to believe that there is this ideal that's going to make you be more valuable in the sport or a better athlete. Mm -hmm. If you look like this one certain way, or maybe because the top person in that sport looks this certain way. And I know there was a time in my life that I believed that too. And it was so much so that I, I talked to several nutritionists and doctors and I was like, so how do I get rid of this muscle? Like, what is it that I, and I had a couple of them raise their eyebrows at me and like, yeah, I'm not working with you. And I was like, I promise I don't have an eating disorder. Like, I'm just being serious. Like, I need to like take off some of this muscle. And, you know, it took a couple of doctors that were just like, no, this is like, like, you're just like this. And looking back at pictures, even when I was a little girl, I can see, like, I was always just a muscular little girl. And I remember when I was um, in grade school, I have a couple family pictures where I'm hiding my arms. And I used to ask my mom, like, why do my arms look like a, a man's arms? Because they just, you know, they just were, were muscular and my legs yeah. were muscular and it just was, but that's how I was. And so, you know, over the years, it's like, okay, I can, I definitely can, like anyone else, point out things that I wish would change or I can just choose and be totally stoked about the other things that are in my body that actually make me the athlete that I am, that make me strong and just yes. really make me who I am uniquely. And, you know, and I get messages about all the time. I, I am a bigger runner, you know, is, you know, if you were to look at like an elite runner, I would fall into that category. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm like body shaming myself, like I'm this big fatty or anything, but it's like, <laughs> I, I really believe like, yeah, I'm, I'm a bigger runner. I'm, I'm more muscular. Like my weight is heavier than a lot of my competitors, but I'm, I'm also able to do a lot of awesome things with mm. this body. And, and I realize that I represent a massive portion of women out there that are, that are also athletes. And I get those messages all the time. They're like, thank you for representing women with big thighs or just a little bit heavier, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know what? That's a good, that's a good place for me because at the end of the day, like if I base my performance and what I'm capable of doing on how I fit in my shorts, I'm going to miss out on a lot. I'm yeah. going to really lose sight and lose out on being brave and being courageous. If I'm just going to be so focused on that. So it's a journey. I think I know for a lot of people, it's a journey to accept our bodies for what they're made to be. But I don't believe that anybody's body is a mistake. It's there wasn't, yeah. you're not a screw up. You, yes. Every part of you is the way it was supposed to be. And it's, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Love <laughs> it. I love that. Love that. Well, with, with, with your cross training and, and mm -hmm. all, have you, um, 
uh, I, I don't remember. Have, have you dealt with injuries much, you know, since you've been running mm -hmm. and doing ultras? Yeah, I, my, my, um, when I, the first couple of years that I started in ultras, yeah, I had a lot of injuries because yeah. I think, um, and this is still pretty much a trend. You jump into trails and you're like, this community is amazing. And then you go on social media <laughs> and you're like, oh, everyone's racing every weekend. I need to do that too. Yeah. And I just turned into like a complete idiot and was racing like every couple of weeks and like, oh my gosh, they're that running that many miles. I need to run that many miles and just totally pulverized my body. And so, you know, I had stress fractures, torn muscles and horrific shin splint. I mean, I just had, I did stupid stuff the first couple of years, um, but I haven't been injured in almost five years. So once I kind of got my <laughs> stuff together and realized, no, there is a gracious and patient way of building up to be the strongest mm -hmm. I can be. Yeah. Um, it is not by focusing on what everyone else is doing. So yeah. I stopped doing that and, and trained the best for me. And, um, that is really when my career took off when I mm. started focusing on just being my best and not trying to emulate anybody else. So, and I think it's, a, I think yeah. it's a common problem cause we're, I mean, you know, the, the running we're doing, you know, running these miles, it's you're, we are pushing some pretty significant limits, you know, in our bodies and, and you kind of find those, those limits and then, you know, okay, I need to build up to that next time. Cause you mm -hmm. know, I tore, tore a calf muscle or, or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's important, you know, to, to, I don't know, to know your limits, but still push past them. I don't know. Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I think that, you know, as much as we want to be like strong and we want to say, yeah, I'm going to go after this. We also can be the most critical and the most, um, we can put ourselves down the most and kind of bail out easily and even lie to ourselves that, Oh, it's just too hard. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, I mean, that's why I kind of have a coach too. <laughs> I mean, not kind yeah. of, I do have a coach, yeah. but, and why community is, is important. Um, yeah. To kind of have, look at ourselves from, from all sides of those, you know, from every angle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, from, from one, uh, parent, uh, to another, you know, and, and one ultra running parent to, to another, um, one of the struggles that I hear a lot of people that, that, that face, you know, and I try to stay in the gym too and running, um, but balancing, you know, mm -hmm. family life and responsibilities and this crazy thing that we do, um, mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's your formula? What's your take? How do you, how do you handle all that? <laughs> you know, outside online did an article on this, um, on me, like it was, I want to say like five, six years ago. And, um, I think it was called no excuses or something like that. Mm -hmm. This is, this is like, this is where I just get, you know, really cutthroat, I think. And, and I don't, I've, I've gotten a little bit of, <laughs> I've got a little bit of pushback sometimes and not always like the kindest comments, but I believe that sometimes, um, you know, when things are hard or when we challenge people to really rise to the occasion, they don't like that feeling of being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that is definitely a problem just in our society here in the United States. Yes. We don't like being uncomfortable. We mm -hmm. seek comfort at all costs. So I want to be happy. I want to feel good at all times. I want to, I want to know that everyone around me is making me feel good. I don't like confrontation. And if, if I have to get out of my comfort zone, then clearly this is not for me. 
And so I will just say that I do not tread in that way at all. I'm not seeking comfort in my life. Um, mm. Although I love it, there's a place for rest, recovery, and taking holiday. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that if you're going to be the best you can be, you got to walk through the storms, you got to climb up the mountain, you got to embrace the challenges and realize it's the only way you're going to get strong. And so um, when I had my when I started having children, I realized that if I'm going to be the best mom that I can be, I want to be as 100% present as I can be. But I also don't want to lose who I am. Just because I become a mom doesn't mean that all my dreams and everything that makes Sally Sally goes out the window. How can I do this in a way that shows my children that you will be you until you're 150 years old, you know, <laughs> until your days are over? You never stop doing what you love, what you're passionate about. But when you have kids, it's like now you have the opportunity. You have these these kids who have a front row seat who get to glean from you, get to learn from you and to, to carry that on. And so um, when my kids were babies, I was like, I'm going to figure this out because mm -hmm. a lot of moms like in my circle, like and I'd probably say in a lot of the mom circles, we experience like mom shame. You know, you feel guilty if you have if you put your kids in kids club at the gym or someone comes over to watch them while you go on a run or like anytime you do anything for yourself. And I have no idea where that came from, because mm. when we are pursuing the things that we love, when we're giving ourselves like that, that break and that release, we become better parents. Like we come back and we're like, you know, if I'm fitter and I'm more rested, like I'm just stronger and better for my children. Right. If I'm pursuing the things that I love and I, I still am giving grace to myself and giving a little bit of attention to myself, which is okay to do, mm -hmm. um, then my kids will then see like, hey, just because you're a parent doesn't mean you need to abuse yourself and forget <laughs> who you are. And so it, it took a lot of years though, and I still feel like I'm, I'm still trying to understand that because you know there are busy seasons. And mm -hmm. what I then realized was, okay, what are the times a day that my kids actually don't need me? And so I realized it was always when they were sleeping. Mm -hmm. So nap time became like my writing time. And um, 4 a.m., like my kids would get up like at 6 a.m. when they were babies, but like no one needed me at 4 a.m. I had two hours in the morning where I could go on a run. I could get anything done around the house. I could even go grocery shopping if I wanted to. And I used to do that. Like, <laughs> grocery shopping by myself was just such a gift. And so, um, again, I believe in the 4 a.m. hour. So how yeah. do I get everything done? You know what? You get up at freaking 4 a.m. That's how you Amen, it. sister. And, <laughs> Amen. And it is, yeah. Is it easy? No. Do I love it? No. Do I wish I was in my warm bed? Absolutely. And I have been doing this for you know, 15 years now. And I'll tell you, it's still really hard, but I am able to get so much accomplished when I start my day at 4am. And so when people tell me, well, why, and there's so many excuses, you know, people, well, I need my sleep and I stay up this late and I'm like, I'm there with you. Like I am right there with you. I get it. I get it. I get it. And, you know, and this doesn't have to do with like, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm a professional athlete, but like, even if I wasn't a professional athlete, I would still do this because my health is important. My mental um, health is important. And if I can start the day with a little quiet time, a little bit of prayer with, you know, my first run of the day, taking care of those 
really important emails, getting all of that done. And wow, I mean, I, if I get up at four and my kids are up at seven, I have three hours that I am just, no one needs me. I'm just knocking things out. And I have gotten so much accomplished that when everyone's up, that would have taken me twice as, as much time. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get the same question and, and I, I, I think I run more in the dark than in the light because I'm up, you know, because, <laughs> because early, early morning. So I completely yeah. relate to that. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, it's, I, you know, for people listening, the best way to, to transition into it is you, you transition a little bit of, at a time. Um, like I said, not everyone always likes hearing this, but you know, if you ask me, this is what I'm going to tell you, you have to get up early. Um, and you know, that's, that's really going to help you, but you know, you can, if you usually get up at seven, start getting up at six 30, do that for a couple weeks, then get up at six, do that for a couple weeks and then so on and so forth. And, and I realize there's firemen and policemen and nurses and doctors that have the most insane schedules. Um, and I actually coach, it's so funny because I have a lot of, um, people that work in the medical field actually reach out to me for this very reason. They're like, we know you have an insane schedule, so please help me with mine. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'd say like a third of my roster are people that work in the medical field and mm. have ridiculous schedules where they're like, they get off work at four. And so, you know, what wow. does that look like? So I, I realize, you know, 4am doesn't work for every single career, but, but there is, I teach them how, how do you do it then? How then can you run a hundred miles when you know, you're working the graveyard shift in, in the ICU. So. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I, I like, I like the way you look at it. I mean, it is a, a chore to get up early, but it's positive. You know, I get to, I get this time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so necessary. So, yeah. So I wanted to make sure and ask you, I, I, I I saw uh, this was a while back that you posted um, an Instagram post and where you talked about heart up. Yeah. People, yeah. <laughs> can, can you explain that? Because because yeah. I want to tell you, there's been some times where I've been running and I've been tired and that has come to my mind and it's mm -hmm. and, and, and it's worked. It's been awesome. It's been good. Mm -hmm. So um, could you could you share that in a nutshell? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, it is a daily basis that I get messages about this. Um, and so there's a little bit of, there's a little project I'm doing on it too. And some, some things going off of, off of this, um, that I'm expanding on because it's such a very simple concept and it really, it's a, it's a twofold idea. So, um, for years I taught a, a, a biomechanics running form class as a natural running class. And this is around the time that um, Born to Run came out and people mm. started go running barefoot and wearing zero drop shoes. And, um, you know, everyone was really big on, you know, what's the right running form and all that. When re in reality, it's very difficult to teach somebody how to to change their running form, especially adults. Yeah, You can't change running form overnight. It takes thousands of hours really to completely change somebody's running form. It takes a lot of time and dedication in practice. And so my, my natural running classes, um, I would basically teach them how to, if they're going in a more minimalist shoe, this is how you transition. Um, and then if you are working on your form and really it's for people that have like true problems, they're getting injured all the time. Like I would do assessments and look at weaknesses and strengths. And so I started to explain from head to toe, 
here is like the most efficient way that you that you can run. And I usually would take them to a grassy field, make them take off their shoes and socks and have them run across the lawn. Mm -hmm. And when they would do that, I would say, you know, I actually don't have to teach you anything at all because you what you just did was perfect running form. Like it's already in you. Mm -hmm. And what I realize is that when we focus so much on what our feet are doing and the foot placement, I mean, people would start to run kind of funky and they would get stressed <laughs> out and they were mentally exhausted and they were just like, and sometimes they'd be running on their toes and it was just like, oh my gosh. So I zeroed down like, if I could give somebody one, one cue to improve their running on the, on the day, what could I tell them? And so it first started off with just run tall. Mm. If I can tell someone to run tall, then they won't overstride. Like it's almost impossible to overstride when you're running tall. If you're running tall, you can't lean back and you can't reach forward. Mm. Um, your feet have to land right under the center of your body mass. And so running tall will allow you to run in a more safe, efficient position. Um, mm. Well, then over time, I realized, too, that when when people run long distances, they're going out for, um, you know, a half marathon or even just a long run on the weekend or a full marathon. What happens usually in that last third of the race? And you can see this for those of you that have ever had a bad running race photo. I know I have <laughs> yeah, had many. Yeah. There is this breakdown of the body and you see like the shoulders are kind of slumping over the arms are like slowly coming down by the waist. And it's like this hunched position. Like, like this person has just been hit by with, <laughs> with a two by four from behind. And it's kind of disappointing. Like you go and you train this whole time and you think you're strong and you're ready to cover the distance and you get your race photo back and you're like, I look like <laughs> hell. Like this is terrible. So I used to say to people, Hey, if you can just keep your heart up when you're running, when the, when the race gets hard, especially that last third, yeah. pick your heart up and point it at the finish line. Hmm. What you're experiencing in that moment is it is difficult. You are worn down. All your weaknesses are coming out. All you want is to be done. You've been running for a while. Your body is tired. And so you're having this mental breakdown and it's totally transferring to your physical state. Your, bot, your mind is telling your body how to feel. And so you need to change that. You need to tell your brain, you know, what, I'm going to keep my heart up. And when you pick your heart up and point it at the finish line, <laughs> your form looks so much better. And when your form is better, you feel better. And when you feel better, all this positivity kind of just floods over you. And I'll tell you what, if there's a race photographer standing there too, <laughs> they're going to get a really good picture of you <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, so that's what it was like in running, but as everything that I kind of put out in social media and when I write, I always say that running is just the way, um, that I connect with you. I'm really talking about life and life mm. in and of itself, no matter what season you're in, you know, if you feel like you're in the season where you are at like the last third of the race and you are just tired, you know, the goal always is this, we don't always in our journey, have the opportunity to see the finish line. 
I don't know about you, but anytime I see a finish line, there's something that just comes over me where I'm like, oh. I could sprint. I could <laughs> yes. sprint right now. I have 99 miles on my legs, but I see a finish line and I can sprint. There's just something about mm -hmm. it that lifts us up. And it's realizing that in life so often, the reason why we kind of get into this, you know, into a slump or we just kind of feel like we're in a challenging state, it's because we've lost sight of the finish line. And we've lost sight of the goal and we don't know how much further we have to go or how long we have to be in this. And it's really easy to get down on ourselves and kind of lose motivation. And mm -hmm. I think that just that simple idea of, you know what, keep your heart up because when you keep your heart up, you are in the best position to move forward efficiently and keeping your heart up has everything to do with keeping hope. And it isn't like that superficial hope of like, well, I hope this happens, right? It's like hope is what moves you forward. It's yeah. always thinking positive that the best is yet to come. Keep your heart up because the 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 more steps you take forward, the closer you are going to get to that finish line, whether you see it or not. There's nothing ever accomplished by stopping where you are or turning around and going backward. There's nothing accomplished by sitting there and just feeling sorry for yourself. But you can pick your heart up. Point your, line, your heart towards that finish line, towards your goal, towards going forward in your life, and great things happen. And you tend to realize, too, that when you choose to, when you choose to be positive and choose to be hopeful, even in the most dire situations, after that situation's over, you're stronger. And you'll then recall upon that in later situations in your life. And you'll remember, yeah, I remember when I was going through a really dark time, when I wasn't feeling great. And I kept going and now here I am again. And you know what? What I learned last time was that I could get through this, that I can walk through hard things. And all I got to do is keep my heart up. Mm. Um, I love it. Love it. That's, that, 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 that's good stuff. You know, what's 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 amazing is uh, in, in the trail running community, ultra running community, that so many of you guys who are who are elite and, and are killing it, you know, doing a great job are just positive, you know. And, and I think um, you mentioned Born to Run earlier. And of course, I've read it. And um, but in the book, it talks about, you know, just just running happy. You know, putting a yeah. smile on your face. And I found when I get to an aid station and I feel like garbage, you know, if mm -hmm. I put a smile on my face and thank, you know, everyone there and, and just give a give gratitude, then it comes back to me. I feel, you know, I get that 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 uh that energy back and, you know, start running and, and I got some pep in my step, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's good. It's good. Absolutely. Mm. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we hadn't even had a, a chance to to talk before our time winds down. I wanted to ask you about uh, just some of your some of your races. I mean, you've you've got mm -hmm. so many you've done. You've you've done a uh, Western States three times. Am yeah. I right on that? Okay. Yeah, and, that's right. And uh, and all and I've. I've got to experience that this last year. I didn't. I I got a lucky ticket to get in. I didn't, oh, get, the, I didn't awesome. get the earned ticket. I got I got my ticket oh, chosen. Oh, that it doesn't matter. What a great! I hope you <laughs> yeah. had a good experience. Did you oh, love I, it? I did. I did. It was uh, it was a great year. It was it was wonderful. And um, but it was a challenge. And so, um, how did how did you? I mean. I, 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 I just rewatched uh, you running the, the 50 miler to get your ticket to get in. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then you got in. And so 
um, and you've been there three times. And mm-hmm. so what's what's your take on on Western states? I mean, do you, do, you, do you love it? Is it a, just a good a challenge you embrace? How do you feel about it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was funny. I was just talking to someone about at my camp about this. Um, my good friend and filmmaker, who a lot of people know in the ultra community, Billy Yang, did yeah. a film called Western Time. Also, my good friend Ethan Newberry, he did a, a, a film called Crewing States, and they both covered my race from different angles mm. um, and told different stories. So, Western Time more has some background on my life and just um, correlating my life with this race. Uh, so it's a little bit more of an emotional film. And then um, Crewing States, which Ethan did, was a very heartfelt look at crew and how powerful friendship is and that support is and um, really just dove into what what it was like to qualify and then to get there and and really reach that dream of being in the top 10, which I know a lot of, you know, ultra runners, that's, that's a big dream and an accomplishment for us. So um, one of the things, because that film was made, people have always, and will, I think just always will identify me with Western States. It's like, I remember the first year I, I didn't run it, 2017, people were like, wait, why aren't you running it? You're supposed to be running it. Like, this is your race. Like, Where's Sally? Sally Western States. It like, this is the, like, you are, you are Western States. And um, I would just giggle because I, at the time, my coach was also 14-time champion, Ann Trayson. Oh, and, and so, and I was going up there every other weekend and I'd stay with her for three days and I'd train on the course. And I think that... Um, you know, what, what people got from that was just that I was being groomed to kind of follow in Anne's footsteps and just run it for my entire career. Every year, my year was going to be about Western States. But um, Anne actually gave me some incredible advice that I took and never looked back. And that was, um, you know, you will get opportunities and, you know, as a professional trail runner is very exciting. You get opportunities to travel all over the world mm-hmm. and, and see amazing things and race in beautiful places and meet people and make sure that you take those. And I think it was something that she maybe regretted a little bit for herself because her whole career was focused on Western States and that's it. Yeah. She did other things like comrades and um, there was a handful of other races that she did, but her whole life was focused on Western States and that was it. And I remember thinking that isn't like, I'm just not that, that isn't who I am just in anything in my life. Um, I've never been that way. And my heart has always just been like, I love, I'm curious. I love, I love to travel. I love to discover new places and new things and new experiences. Like I'm always, I'm very spontaneous. So it was just like, I, I can't see this path of, and I know there's like special buckles, you know, top 10 for 10 years or going 10 years in a row. And yeah, those are great. And Western States is is an iconic race. If you've ever, those of you listening, if you've ever experienced on any capacity as a pacer, a crew, volunteer, spectator, like it's incredible. And it's a beautiful celebration of our sport. Um, It's, it's amazing, but I always have wanted to stay true to just who I am is a person and my dreams. And even before I raced my third year, I had never, I mean, I raced, I trained so hard for that year. 
Um, it was like April of 2016 before I ran. I said, this, this is going to be my last year that I race Western States because I had started getting invited to races all over the world. And that's really what I wanted to do. And, you know, ever since I was a little girl, we talked about this earlier. Like I, I believed that I was going to go and work for ambassadors in sport before I even married my husband, um, that traveled all over the world. And it was kind of the same idea. Like you're playing soccer, you're pouring into people, you're connecting with people, you're using sport to connect with people um, and seeing the world. And that was, had always been in my heart and it never, ever left. So when I, this dream come true of becoming a professional athlete, when all of these opportunities were presented to me, I'm like, no, this is like what I've always wanted. This is my dream come true. Like I like, to be able to race in the French Alps, to race in the Cinque Terre in Italy, and to race through jungles and up volcanoes in Chile and Uruguay <laughs> and Australia and New Zealand. Like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's and awesome. so, yeah. um, you know, Western states will always be very precious to me because I have wonderful memories there with my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, after Western Time was put out, after I placed in the top 10, like, my whole life really did change in in a way that I never dreamed of. I mean, uh, just the exposure at that time, I think I kind of entered the sport right at the time when trail running was exploding and all these huge brands were coming into it. I mean, yeah. a lot of us had opportunities to truly be professional athletes and to get paid for doing it and to be supported. And I was right in the mix, like I guess just at the right time. And so my whole life, changed and so i think that western states will always be precious to me and will i go back again maybe but it's you know i think if i stay true to who i just who sally is as sally loves to see the world and i love Mm. to meet as many people as i possibly can i love using my running as a way to connect i don't have this great desire to have to do the same race over and over and over and over again now I have gone to UTMB five times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but UTMB, like unlike Western states, um, there's over 10,000 people that flood the Chamonix Valley, and it's over 100 over 100 countries are represented. We run through three countries in that race. That's there's awesome. five different races. I mean, I go and I feel I feel like even if I wasn't racing, I would go because yeah. I I hang out with all my friends that I have met all over the world for a week. And so I'm hanging out with my friends from New Zealand, from Australia, from South Africa, here in the United States. Like, it's like a massive, huge, awesome party celebration. And there's so many other events that surround it. I mean, it is like Western States times 100 um, just being at UTMB. And, And you meet more and more people that go, that don't even race at all. It's like, just to be there is incredible. So that's that part is a little bit unique but um you know going back to western states i think you know i've i've paced it and i've crewed it these last two years for my very good and dear friend lucy bartholomew Mm -hmm. um she's like my little sister she's very precious Mm -hmm. to me and so um you know i've i've been there every year you know since i haven't raced it except i think only one year was i was i not there um um fully so I love it. I'll love it forever. <laughs> well, 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 you've got you've gotten a chance to do some amazing races. I mean, and even uh, you, you know, UTMB, like you said, Badwater, Tarawara, all the. I mean, yeah. what a what, that's that's got to be fun. That's got to be a blast. Yeah, yeah, it's a gift. I don't. Yeah. I don't take it for granted, and I, and it's also hard not to want to race every week. 
Um, another reason why I have a coach. I mean, I just got invited to race in Brazil and China. Um, and I, he's just like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, cause I, I would probably be racing every five weeks if I took yeah. every opportunity presented to me. But, yeah. um, but I know those won't be there all the time either. Right. There's going right. to come a day and where I'll, I'll stop getting the invites and I'll stop traveling and, and, and it'll be over. And I want to look back and know, like I did everything. I mm. took a hold of every opportunity and I, I loved it. So. Well, well, we're we're getting close to to running out of time, Sally. I, I, I wanted to ask you what what's next. <laughs> well, I couldn't. I I have been so mum about this um, <laughs> for a long time, but um, I I didn't know how I'd feel after my two week marathon of trail running camps. Uh-huh. Um, but right after UTMB, I did sign up for Havelina One Hundred. Mm-hmm. which is on the world tour. So I race on the world tour quite a bit. I rarely ever race in the United States anymore. Um, and Havelina 100 is not my style of racing whatsoever. It's <laughs> five loops in the desert. I think there's only 10,000 feet of climbing. And I kind of term myself as a mountain runner. I like big, yeah. huge mountain races point to point. I like to see mountains. This is, although, as I have heard and I have watched for many years, is a big party in the desert where we all run <laughs> loops in the desert and everyone dresses up in a costume and we all camp out. And I'm like, that sounds so much fun. Um, and I love that somehow it, this race is on the tour. Most all the races on the tour are mountain races. Yeah. Um, there's not really any looped races. So I was like, why not? Let's do something fun to end the year. Um, you know, I would, I, my fitness is kind of rolling over from UTMB. I ran UTMB in my opinion, which I thought was a, a pretty slow race. And so I recovered very quickly from it. Um, my training has been pretty non-existent these last two weeks coaching. So my coach and I decided just on Monday, yes, let's go through with it. We'll run Haveline 100, but no pressure. Like just go yeah. out there and have fun and run for yourself and just end 2019 on a high note. So Nice. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'll be. If anyone is in the desert, uh, <laughs> 100, October 26th, I'd love to meet you. Nice. So, yeah. Well, uh, well, any, um, any chance you, you're, you're eyeing any of the 200 milers? Um, wow. Isn't this a million dollar question lately? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I don't, oh my gosh. Since the, the 200 miles have come onto the scene. Uh, yeah, I get asked this quite a bit. I have my feeling, you know, I go back and forth with how I feel about them because, um, you know, the distance absolutely fascinates me. And mm-hmm. I, I believe it won't be long until then it'll be the 300 mile distance, the 400, the 500, you know, let's Ouch. just all run across the United States, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, yeah. and I think that, that that is the one thing in our sport is everyone is like, well, I'm going to set a FKT here and I'm going to run up and down this mountain here. And it's like, who's going the fastest here? It's like, what's the next biggest, best thing? What's the next big, badass thing? I mean, I get asked about 200s and Barkley on a regular basis. And so I, at this point, I can just say, I don't know to both because okay. there was a time that people would ask me if I would do bad water. And I was like, heck no, I will never do bad water. That's the lamest race. And then I like <laughs> fell in love with it. And I'm like, I love bad water and I did it and it was amazing. And so I, I'm a never say never, but I'll, I definitely have my feelings at dirt, certain seasons, which I'm, I'm okay with embracing, but I'm also, 
100% fine with putting my pride down and being like, yeah, I was wrong. I'm going to go do it. So <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> who, who knows? It might be in, in, you know, something on the, on the bucket list pretty soon. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, 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 uh, Sally, like I said, I want to, uh, let you uh let you go but i have a, a few just quick shotgun questions or, or specific questions that for you to answer on on equipment that you use if, if you're okay with that yeah absolutely just, okay yeah. so so uh what hydration vest are you wearing when you're in the mountains uh, well i just signed with ultra aspire so nice. Ultra aspire i used it for the first time at utmb 106 miles around, you know, around Mont Blanc, and it was amazing. So awesome, fire. awesome. I'm, a, I'm on their immortal team. Love, love their stuff. Oh, cool. Yep, oh, very yep. cool. I'm wearing the Momentum vest this weekend in a hundred miler. So we'll be. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, love it. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, trail shoes. Uh, Nike Wild Horse Five. Uh, oh. I've it's all that I've worn, and I never get blisters, black toenails. The shoe itself last hundreds and hundreds of miles. And because I do bigger, more rugged, longer races, um, it's the more durable of the three trail shoes that Nike puts out. So that's my fave. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, headlamp. Headlamp, you know, Ultra Aspire has yeah. this waist lamp, which is incredible. Yes. It I is it. a game changer. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wore mine for states. It was awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So truth be told, I hate headlamps. Like yeah, I just, yeah. I cannot stand them. And I usually get a headache at some point because I've either tightened it too tight or it's flopping all over the place. It just drives me crazy. Um, so the waist lamp is all that I used at UTMB. So ultra aspire waist lamp, it is worth every single penny. And oh my gosh, it's so bright. I agree. hundred percent. hundred percent. It's <laughs> awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes today. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, what are you wearing on your wrist for GPS? Uh, definitely a Coros watch Coros apex. They just came out with an apex pro. Okay. Um, I have all five watches, the vertex, nice. the pace, all of that. Um, there's no other watch with the this battery life and the functionalities that it offers, the way it loads up to its app within seconds, no matter where you are, and the feedback and the information that it gives is just absolutely incredible. So Koros, yes. Nice. And nutrition and electrolytes. What's your, oh, your state? Oh, hands down, spring energy. <laughs> I knew if you were going to say that. Else out there, people. If you are eating healthily all week, why are we flooding our bodies with junk and sugar? <laughs> Keep eating well, eat spring. Uh, I love spring. It's close to my heart. And I love um, I love working alongside the, the CEO and founder, Rafal, who's also an incredible ultra runner, but also is a sports nutrition scientist and had horrific GI issues himself. And so went to the kitchen and created spring. And I'd say it's the number one feedback we get. Um, I get feedback constantly cause I'm always putting my discount code out there, but it's like, <laughs> I, I don't throw up anymore. I don't have crashes anymore. It's real food. It tastes delicious. So I'm actually flying up to, uh, San Francisco where the factory is in a couple weeks to work on a few recipes, uh, nice. some new products. Yeah. And it's so much fun. Cause I love food. I love being in the kitchen and I love that this product is something that I give to my kids. My kids are athletes. Um, and very competitive. And so it's nice to be able to say like, yeah, eat this. And they can look mm. at the ingredients and be like, oh, I know exactly what this means. It's food. <laughs> it's real food. food. <laughs> it's amazing. So yes, big spring fan. And they have an electrolyte drink. So 
which oh, is all I didn't natural. Know that. Yeah, electrolyte. It's it's made up of a mix of like coconut water, Himalayan salt, um, apple juice. There's it's a good mixture of of stuff. Ginger. Um, it's very refreshing. I, I'll have it over ice sometimes. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Sally, thank you so much for for just yeah. hanging out, and thank you so much for just sharing your heart. I mean, I, I appreciate you're you're, a, you're an awesome ambassador for the sport, and I, I love what you do uh, on the trail and off the trail. So, thanks so much for taking time to to hang out with me today. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and just for giving me this platform to share. Thank you, David. Oh. Hey, my friends, hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Uh, if you want to find some more information about Sally McRae, uh, you can follow in our show notes. If you go to www.runtheriot.run, uh, there'll be a link there with all the show notes. I believe it's episode four with Sally McRae, and you can find uh, links to some of the videos we talked about, links to Sally's Instagram and uh, Facebook and all that goodness, and uh, check it out. Hopefully you've been enjoying these podcasts as much as I've have uh, been putting them on. So uh, uh, like and subscribe, man. Feel free to share these with others. Uh, I just want to bless people with uh, with information and just to be able to hear the amazing stories of um, some of the people we get to run with. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Run the Riot podcast. Until then, keep a smile on your face and some miles under your feet.